Oh, well, welcome to church. Hey, listen, if you're new around here, I just need you to know we like to have fun in church. And so if you're not used to that, well, you better get used to it, okay? I want to welcome everybody online at Correctional Facilities. We're excited. Can we just welcome all those tuning in online? And we have several correctional facilities that we get to reach every single week, and so we're honored to have you with us. And if you are brand new, brand new to church here, brand new to this community, then uh, we're excited that you're here. One of the things we like to do is talk about real life, because I really believe that faith wants to intersect us in real life. And so we'll talk about real life things that we all wrestle with, and our goal is to dive into God's word, what Jesus says, to discover truth so that we can apply it when it comes to our lives. And so we tend to take a couple a subject or two, and we'll just take several weeks, four or five, six weeks maybe, and we'll just kind of work through it. And so that's what we're doing right now. Last week, we began a series, a conversation, talking about all things love and dating and romance and ultimately marriage. And here's what I know about all of us, you included, is that we were not designed to live in solidarity. We were not designed to live in isolation but we're designed to live in relationships with other people. I think we all know that. But here's the thing. I, I think maybe there's no other area that this matters more than in a companion that we want for life that we talk about is marriage. And one of the things that we learned last week is that marriage is something that God created. It's not something we came up with in our culture. That marriage is something that God began to help us. A lot of times we think that dating is all about finding someone that we just want to have fun with and compatible person and we're looking for a playmate to, to do life with. All that's great, but that's not what marriage is meant to be. Marriage is God looking at each of us and saying, you know, there's, there's something missing from your life that you need someone to help you become all that God created you to be. And so marriage should look like this. I find someone and I'm there to help her and she's there to help me. And together it becomes a beautiful thing where we kind of together grow to become what God created us to be. And we said this, that we're not just looking for compatibility, but we're looking for someone who is complementary. We're looking for someone that can compliment. That's not like, oh, you look so cute today. Not that kind. Compliment with an E, like kind of come and help us become who we should be. And I believe that marriage is more than just finding someone to, to enjoy and pass the time with. And I think we all know that. And that's why I talked about last week about finding your soulmate. I believe that deep down inside, all of us want the kind of connection that is soul to soul. The deepest kind of bond and relationship is that of a soulmate. One of the things that we learned last week is this. Before you find your soulmate, you need to find your soul. You all right? Mate, someone said. They picked up on that. Before you find your soulmate, you need to find your soul. If you don't know who you are how can you know who is the right person for you to help you discover all that God wants you to discover? And so we talked a little bit about a soulmate. Let me ask you a question. When you hear soulmate, what do you think of? When, when you hear the word soulmate, what comes to your mind? Now, I, I think most of us kind of have an understanding that a soulmate is maybe not the one in 7.5 billion. Okay, I, now I do think that there are some, and I asked this question last week, and just a few people raised their hands. How many of you think there is one perfect match that is made for you in the whole entire universe and 7.5 billion or so people, that there's one perfect match for you in the whole world? And there's a few people like, yeah, that's, it, I, maybe you do. That's awesome. That is so great. Um, mathematically, that's incorrect, and that would never happen. Just so you know, okay, I mean, if you think about this, let's go all the way back eons ago. When one person accidentally married the one person that wasn't their soulmate, then the person they were supposed to marry ended up marrying someone that wasn't their soulmate, and then that person married someone who wasn't, and you just travel on and on, and basically that means is that you're all with the wrong people right now. No one's married to their actual soulmate. See, I, I don't think that's the way we picture it, but let's be honest. There's a romantic part of all of us it kind of loves the idea of thinking there's a perfect one out there. 
Right? I mean, come on, we love the fairy tale type story. And many of us in the dating process, that is our dream. Our dream is to have this magical connection when you know and you know and you see that person and sparks go flying. You're like, no, immediately I'm going to marry her and I'm going to marry him. And it's just like compatible and it's perfect in every way. And then you get together and then you have the perfect wedding. And then after the perfect wedding is the perfect kiss. And after the perfect kiss is the perfect reception. And after the perfect reception, then you ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. Do me a favor if you're single, um, when you get done, okay, today, find anyone who's married and ask them if that's how it goes. Just anyone. I don't care who it is. Pick out a stranger that looks married. Is that, because anybody that's married will tell you that's not how it goes. And so we have this like idea, and I get it, because I actually believe in a soulmate. I'm gonna talk about that. But we have this idea that the whole goal of life and dating and looking for a soulmate it's finding that one. It's finding the one. I would argue that the whole goal of the process of dating and looking and trying is not about finding the one. It's ultimately about becoming one. There's a difference. It's not about finding the perfect one, but it's actually about becoming one. We left off last week with a, a passage in Genesis 2.24. I want to pick back up there, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about this. How do I find the one, right? Well, it's actually not finding the perfect one. It's actually about becoming one. Genesis 2, verse 24, this is God's picture of marriage. This is the mystery of what happens in marriage. It says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into what? Everybody say into? Into one. This is Beautiful mystery of marriage that God created that is about a uniting into one. And so I, I want you to think of it this way, okay, about a soulmate. It's not about finding that one perfect match out there in the world. I'm going to keep looking until I find the one perfect. I want you to think of it maybe like this. It's not about finding the right one, okay? It's about finding one that is right, let me say it again. It's not about finding the right one. It's about finding one that is right. Because if marriage and really dating that leads to marriage is all about the process of finding and becoming one, then I think we should all recognize that who we pair up with really matters. Right? Who we connect our lives with, who we join our story to, really matters. Now today what I want to do is I want to take you to a passage of scripture in the New Testament and I, I want to show you something that God's word teaches us that I believe is both wisdom and a warning. If you got your Bible with you or electronic device, whatever you use, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll give you a moment to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now in this passage, Paul, the writer, is speaking to the church and he's talking about the most important relationships of our lives, okay? And I'm gonna work through this, but let me just say something before we, we dive into this passage, okay? If you are a Christ follower today, and I'm gonna say especially if you are single, this message is really going to narrow in on you. If you're single and looking or dating or engaged but not yet married, if you're divorced, if you're widowed but you're single and you're, you're thinking about relationships, this passage and this message is going to speak directly to you and it's going to be direct if you are a Christ follower if you are not a Christ follower if you're here and you're like I'm not sure what I believe I'm not sure I am a Christian I'm not sure what I believe about the Bible first of all I love that you're here you are welcome to be in this community you don't have to believe to belong and we say it all the time you are in the right place now so I want to just let you off the hook. If you're not a Christ follower, today's message does not apply to you. You can just disregard it. You're like, eh, that's not for me. Disregard it, okay? If there's something that does speak to you, eh, take it. But this is specifically Paul writing to the church. I want you to remember that, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 14 before we move on. Just this one verse. It's really a power-packed verse. It says this, do not... Be what? Can you all say that word out loud? Do not be, come on, say it with me again. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I don't know if you've ever been yoked before, 
but it doesn't sound very nice, does it? I don't like the idea of being yoked before. If you're like, I, what does that mean? I've, I had someone throw an egg at me once. Is that what you, you mean? No, it's a different kind of yoke, all right? What does it mean to be yoked together? I want to talk about that for a moment. Now, a yoke, if you're not familiar, is an old farming instrument, okay? We don't really use things like this today in the modern world. We use John Deere tractors, okay? But the yoke was an old farming tool. I got a picture, okay, that was like a wooden curved bar that you would place on the neck or the backs of two animals. Most of the time you've ever heard of this, it's a yoke of oxen, okay? And you would pair these two animals up, stick their necks inside of this little thing and tighten it up and it would bind, yoke, it would connect or hitch them together and then from that yoke they would attach it to say a plow and they would, you would use the oxen to pull the plow and actually till up the ground. This is kind of an ancient technique for how you would farm. You could also use it to attach them to a wagon. You, there are still um, communities and places around the world today that still use oxen in a yoke to, to pull things. And you can find that around the world. And maybe today in our world, not so much. But this is the picture that Paul gives us. And Paul says to not be yoked. Now, again, he's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. Don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. Now, where I believe Paul gets this from, and Paul was someone who was raised in the Jewish faith. He was someone who knew the Old Testament very well. And where Paul, I believe, gets this idea from is a command that God gave to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 22. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, God was giving them a command when it comes to farming and how they treat their animals. And God gave this command. Let me read it. Uh, Deuteronomy 22 verse 10 says this. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey. What is that word? Say it out loud. Yoked together. Do not hitch an ox and a donkey together. Why? Because it would be cruel. An ox is like big and strong. Don't hitch, don't connect an ox, a big strong ox to a a donkey because it's not going to go well for either of them. There's not something equal there, right? And so Paul is thinking of this as he's now thinking about relationships and, and he draws a connection together, which if we apply this New Testament principle to dating, to marriage, we basically get this one truth. This is what I want you to get today. If you don't remember anything else, you're gonna write this down. This is the one truth you're gonna get today and that is this, especially if you're single. Don't marry a donkey. Right? Come on, everybody say it out loud with me. Don't marry a donkey. That is the lesson. Now, here's what I know. There's some of you that are married and you're going, I already did. <laughs> My husband is such a donkey. She is, oh my gosh, is so, like, don't, mar now listen, if you're married to a donkey, we're gonna talk about that at the end. You just hold on. We're gonna talk to everybody who's single for a moment. Don't marry a donkey. Why? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're an ox. You're an ox. Here's what we know about donkeys. They're stubborn. Here's what we know is if you link up with someone who is not who does not share your faith, that it will create problems. In fact, let me, let me kind of draw a little illustration because maybe we don't think about marriage in these terms, but I think Paul's helping us see that. And in fact, I have a little illustration. Is there anybody here, just show of hands, that you have uh, been married, say, in the last couple months? Raise your hand if you got married in the last couple. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Tucker and Anna. Would you all come up here for just a second? Can you all give it up? Y'all know Tucker and Anna, they lead us in worship almost every single weekend, and um, I had the privilege of getting to officiate their wedding, what was it, like August 2nd, wait, we're just over a month, just over a month, they've been married for one whole month, yeah, you have a long way to go, okay, so they've been, I love it, I love it, I love it, they've been married for one month, it was a beautiful wedding, it was incredible, so there's this tradition, which 
I wish I had thought about it because we could have done this, right? Because I officiated their wedding. There's a tradition in weddings where we get this phrase. I believe it's where we get this phrase from called, what did they do? They tied the, tied the knot, right? You may, maybe you've heard that before. We always heard that around marriage and wedding. It's like, what does that mean, tie the knot? Well, there's an old Celtic, still done today in some areas, Scotland, Ireland. There's, a, there's an old kind of tradition of something that people would do in the ceremony. And it was called hand fasting. Hand fasting. And so what they would do, if you take your hands, let me just show them. Okay, you'd put your hands. There'd be a part in the ceremony where they would put their hands together and then in the old school way of doing things, that the officiating person, the priest, would take a rope and would tie their hands together with a knot. Now, they still do it today, but it's kind of like prettied up, and they just kind of lay something over top, and they do this as a ceremony, hand fasting. But I actually think it's a beautiful picture of what Paul is talking about, about being yoked together. And so I, I want to just show you the illustration of why this matters so much. So I want to tie your hands. Put your hands back. I want to tie your hands. But um, I didn't bring any rope. But, oh, I've got a more modern version. Ah, oh, now this makes sense for 2022. This is what it means to get married. So, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. Okay, hold on. Okay, All right, sorry. Was that too tight? Is that too t- So, when you guys... Are you okay? When you guys said, I do, you didn't realize that happened. They got yoked together, right? Inseparable. They're together for good. Whatever God has joined together to let man not put asunder, right? This is what happens when they got married. They got t- they tied the knot, okay, or got cuffed together, one of the two. They got tied. Now, here's the thing. I want to I show them a little illustration. Do me a favor. Can you guys just back up just for a second, like right over here? Just, just stand right there. Okay. Anna? You're an ox. Can you, can you grunt like an ox? Moo, moo, she's an ox. She's real strong. Tucker, you're a donkey. What's a donkey say? Eow, eow, that's so good. Okay, you guys stay there. Okay, we got Anna, she's an ox. Tucker, he's a donkey. But they're gonna go through life together. So I'm going to play God, okay? And as they kind of just, can you guys just kind of walk through life like they're good? They got the same plans and dreams, and we're going to have a house and 4.3 kids, and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, God speaks to Anna and goes, Anna, Anna, come over here. I have something for you. I've got a purpose for Anna, where are you going? Come over here, Anna. Where, do you guys see what happened? Come on, give it up for them. Thank you, guys. That's all. You guys can go ahead and sit down. See, they could, what? Oh, shoot, that's a, I, oh, I do, I do. All right, here, just take it. All right, give it up one more time for them. It's, right, here's what I wanted you to see, and I believe that this is why Paul says this about really important relationships, is that when you bond or tie yourself to someone, and you're going down life. Now, now, there's something really important about it. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says that two are better than one for they bring a better return. There's something powerful about marriage. There's something powerful about doing life with someone. Okay, It's not just about sharing your house and your bills and all that, but it's about helping each other. And so when you're going through life and you can be going the same direction, but if one is an ox and the other is a donkey, if one's a follower of Jesus and they're... God begins to call them in a direction. I want you to go here. I want you to do this with your time, with your money. I want you to do this. But the other one doesn't. It creates a real tension. Now, some of you might look at this passage and go, Pastor, this, this doesn't say anything about marriage. It says don't be un, unequally yoked, some translations say, or don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. It's not just for marriage. But what I do believe that Paul is speaking to are the types of relationships that have massive influence on each other and those that we bind ourselves together, maybe spiritually, legally. It, it, you can apply this, and we're gonna apply this to marriage because I believe it fits. There's no deeper relationship that is more bonded than marriage. But you could maybe also apply this to business. 
that if you're a follower of Jesus and you go in business and maybe you have with somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, it might work out, it might be great, you might have similar plans and vision and goal, but what happens if God speaks to you one day and God says, I want you to do this with your company, I want you to do this with the finances that I'm gonna bless you with, I want you to live and operate your company under these ethics and values and that person says, no, I don't wanna do that, all of a sudden you're gonna have real tension. And so this is, this is about relationships that are deep, that are, have massive influence on each other. Now, some might go, wait, wait, does this mean that we're not supposed to be friends with people that don't know Jesus? Absolutely not, that's not what this is saying. In fact, it's important that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the church, that we don't just live in the bubble. We might be in the world and not of it, but we are to be in it. And we are to have relationships. And if you don't think Paul is like, is he really saying yes? Go back one chapter. One chapter, Paul talks about how when we are in Christ, we become a new creation. The old is gone. We become someone new. And then now that we discover that, here's what he says. He says, now you are to be an ambassador to others and help others be reconciled to God. It is our intent and purpose in life to help others find the same hope we have. But there's a difference between doing that and linking arms and being yoked in a relationship. In an intimate oneness. See, you're an ox if you're a Christ follower. He says, don't, don't, don't be linked up with a donkey. Now, a great question that maybe you ask, if maybe you're in a relationship, maybe you're, you're looking, maybe you've had somebody that you've been talking to, and you say, how do I know if someone is a believer? That's a great question. Let's talk about it. How do I know if someone is a follower of Jesus? Now, I believe that when Paul is saying believer in this term, you have to understand the context, he's speaking to the church. He's not just talking about someone who believes by agreeing with thought, but someone whose life aligns in following Jesus. How do I know? You know, that's a great question because here's something that I, in all my years of of pre-marriage counseling and being with couples and as a pastor and leading a church, can can I just tell you something I've noticed about people in general? People lie. We all do. But here's something I found out. People lie more when they're dating than any other time in their lives. Now, you just need to hear this if you're single. People lie more, and some of you got, no, I don't ever lie. Okay, I don't necessarily mean the overtly, the white lies and just that. I'm talking about putting yourself out, a projection of yourself out there that doesn't match who you really are. I know we never do that. We never do that on social media. I know everybody on social media never filters their photos. They never just post things that they want you to think about them, but it's not an indication of what their life is really like. I know that never happens. And oh, by the way, in dating apps, I know no one ever lies on their profile. Never. Never do that. You know know what I found is that people lie more when they're dating than any other time. Here's why. And it's not even intentional. I think it's sometimes subconscious. You know why? It's because they want so badly for you to like or for them to like you that they will tell you or position themselves in any way they think that you will accept them. This happens in dating all the time. You don't believe me? I mean, just imagine the girl that they go on a few dates and like there's something, some things that she really likes about the guy and it's like, man, there's something. He is so organized and he is so clean and he picks me up and his car is pristine and it smells so good. It's like pine fresh or something. I don't know. And he smells so good and he's organized and he's clean and I just, and it's like, don't, doesn't the Bible say that cleanliness is next to godliness? And, and, and it's so great. Can I just tell you something about him more than likely? And that is, if you had seen his car two hours before he picked you up, you would know he has a science experiment growing in the back seat. And then he was like, I've got a date. I better clean. And he scrubbed his car and he sprayed Febreze all on the seats. That's why you think it smells good. And he picked you up and it's like, oh, he's so organized and clean. You don't know the half of it. Just wait until you get married and you'll find out. It happens both ways. Girls lie all the time when they're dating. Do you know how many girls I've seen are just like super sports fans when they're dating? They're, you know, he's like, do you want to go to a Bengals game? Oh, yeah, that 
would be awesome. Well, I didn't know if you wanted to go. I was going to have my buddy. No, you better take me. I want to. I love the, the, who are they? I love the bangles and, and I wear the gear. And it's like, well, it's going to be 25. I know, but man, I want to. I love them. I'm a, uh, and so she's out there painting her face. And oh, the bangle. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get married. And she's like, why do we have to watch that? I don't, I don't watch football. That's dumb. You want to go to the game? No, it's cold. Why would we do that? Who are you? This is not the person I married. Right? Because people lie. They, they, listen, they don't even know they're doing it. Subconsciously, they want you to want them. And so they're projecting a version of what they think you want rather than who they really are. Say, so do people really do that? Well, there was a poll that was done by Gallup, a survey. You've heard of them in 21. They did this big random poll across our nation, asked about different things, faith and practice and all that good stuff. You know what they discovered? 69% of Americans said that they were Christians. Nearly three quarters of our country are Christians. I thought to myself, that must be true. When you look at culture today, it is so reflective of that study. Our culture is so, I mean, it's like almost, you think about, I mean, we have got to be the most unified nation you have ever seen when you have almost three quarters of everybody believes the same, has the same purpose, and we love our neighbors, and we love our enemies, and we forgive, and we trust people, and we just, oh my gosh, like that's got to be so true, right? Or, or the study also revealed that only about 29% of people that said they have a genuine faith also said that they went to church on the regular and then other polls came to find out that that's actually closer to about 20% of people who actually go, what am I saying? I'm saying people lie. They lie all the time. So let me give you a little bit of advice. This is just me, just giving a little relationship advice. If you're in a relationship with someone and you're, you're gonna wrestle with this question, real simple. Don't just listen to what someone says. Look at how they live. Brilliant, I know. Let me say it again. Maybe you should write it down, okay? Don't just listen to what someone says. Look at how they live. Now, I did not come up with this idea. Scripture is. Scripture does. In James chapter 2, there's a beautiful passage where the half-brother of Jesus kind of gives us some insight. How do I know if someone who says they got faith, well, I believe in God, how do I know if it's real? James 2, verses 19 through 20. 22 says this you say you have faith that's great because you know I want to be with somebody that shares my same faith and values you say you have faith for you believe that there is only one God good for you that's the way I read it it's kind of sarcastic good for you even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror so if you meet someone you're like I just need to know my pastor says this is really important so I got a question to ask do you believe in God? Yeah. Oh, great. When someone says that, just so you know, they share everything in common with demons, okay? This is, what, this is what James is saying. Verse 20, it goes on. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Doesn't matter if someone says that. He says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown, this is important, to be right with God, there's a difference between saying I believe with, in God or I'm actually in the right with God by his what? Can you all say that word out loud? By his? By his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together and his what? Say it again. His actions made his faith complete. When you combine what someone says is their belief with their behavior, then you can determine what someone really believes. In other words, when their actions line up with their axioms. When, when someone, let me say it this way to you. The fruit of someone's life indicates the root of their belief. I need to back up and say that again. The fruit of someone's life indicates the root of their belief. How do I know what someone believes? Well, I believe in God. That's great. You should see it. It should be evident. 
It should be reflective in how they live. You should hear it. You should see it. It should be visible in their life. You see, I, I, I think that sometimes when we're so in love and we find someone that we really, really like and we get emotionally attached is that it's easy to overlook or it's easy, it's easy for us to intentionally look for some signals and clues that might lead us to believe that maybe possibly just could be that they believe in God. If that is your approach, let me just warn you, that's a red flag. I said this passage is both wisdom and a warning. How do I know if someone has an authentic faith? How do I know? Look for the fruit in their life. Look for the fruit in their life. Okay, like in what areas? Okay, how about this? How do you know what someone's passionate about? You can tell what someone's passionate about by what they pursue in their life, their pursuits. And how do you know what someone pursues? Honestly, it's not that hard. This is one of those few areas I'm gonna say, where all you have to do is listen. All you have to do is listen. Sit down, go to coffee, go have a date with somebody, okay? And if they talk, they, you let them talk long enough, they'll tell you what matters to them. They'll tell you what they're passionate about. They're talking, man, I'm gonna get my MBA and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna one day have this and I'm gonna build this and we're gonna, I wanna have kids and I wanna have that and all oh, this stuff's good, that's good, nothing wrong with all that stuff. And they'll tell you what they're passionate about. But can I just tell you what I think is a red flag? If they never once bring up following Jesus, It's a red flag. So, so what do I do? I guess you ask them. But here's what I want to, what is my point? If you have to ask them what they believe, red flag. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, an initial date and just, you know, it gets real surfacey and all that. But I'm saying you go on three dates, four dates, you can talk to them on the phone, your text back, and you never once hear that they're passionate about Jesus, red flag. It's a red flag. That means it's a red flag. I'm not saying it rules them out. I'm just saying we gotta take note of red flags. Or here's another one. Um, how about how he or she treats other people? Because we're talking about the fruit. I know the Bible says that the fruit of the spirit of God inside of us will be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, all these good things, right? So I'm gonna look for it in how they treat others. Or let me go one step further. How do they treat their parents? As a dad, I'm kind of speaking here a little bit too. I was in Pastor Andy that. How do they treat their parents? Do they treat their parents with respect? Do they treat their parents even when they disagree with them in an honoring way? Or the moment their parents tell them they can't do something and they're over there going, oh my gosh, my dad is such a jerk. He's such a, I can't stand him. I just I hate him. My dad, blah, blah, My mom, she's so blah, blah, blah. Out of this. They're constantly talking about their, his own parents behind their back. Let me tell you something. Wait until you get married. Guess what they'll do to you? They'll do the same thing about you. They'll complain to their coworkers about you. See, this is, I'm just looking for fruit, guys. How do I know if it's real? I'll just, the fruit will bear out. Here's another one. Um, the thing that matters most to us here in America is our resource. So what does he or she do with their money or time? Those are the two most important resources that we all have. Money and time. What do they do with them? What, what, what are they, are they generous? Do they give? Do they, do they believe in honoring God do, with, with their finances? Do they manage their finances? Are they a steward with their finances? Or are they in debt, up to their eyeballs, don't even think about it, they don't care, they just spend and spend, and they never give, they're never generous. What about their time? They don't ever serve others. They're not involved in a community where they can help. They don't serve, they're selfish all the time. Here's what I know, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do I know? I'm just trying to find out. Well, look at the evidence. Well, here's another one. Here's another one. When it comes to church. When it comes to church. What's their posture? What's their take? What's their attitude on church? What was their attitude about church before they met you? This is important. Because you can run into people and things are going well and you can bring up, hey, I just... 
I need you to know that my faith really matters to me. And so I just wanted to ask, and we've not really, you haven't really said, so I'm just curious, like, what, what do you think about, you know, do you believe in God, the church, and that? And, well, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. You go to church? Well, no, not really. I haven't gone to church in, you know, forever. I was little, but I don't really. But I, it's not that I have anything against it, or I just, I don't know, I just haven't found the right one. In 12 years, you haven't found the right one. Oh, okay. Or they might say, I believe in God. I just don't believe in organized religion. I just, it's kind of this man-made construct. I'm just not really down with that. Like, I really do, I believe in God so much, but I, just church, I don't know. That's interesting because church is not a man-made construct. Church is a Jesus-made construct. Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing is gonna stop it. In fact, I need, I need to know this. The New Testament tells us that Jesus died and gave his life for the church. And so, listen, to say I'm, I'm with God, not with the church, would be like somebody coming up to me and say, Pastor, I like you, don't like your wife very much. You better get back, I will slap you in the name of Jesus <laughs> with a holy right cross. Red flat. Why does it matter being in the church, the community? I know I'm partial I'm in the church, been in the church, work in the church. I get all that. But can I tell you from my experience why it matters? Because when you're in the community of the church, and I don't just mean pop in and attend here. I'm talking about you're a part of the community. What do you get? You get accountability in your life. You're actually submitting yourself to an authority in your life. You're submitting yourself to pastoral and spiritual authority. You're submitting yourself to God's word in that authority so that messages like this, when God's word is clearly spoken to you and it challenges you and it convicts you that it's something that will transform you and change you on the inside and gather in worship environments like we're in where we're challenged to worship God with our whole heart. Do you think that matters in life? Yeah, it matters in life. Why? Because I want to be married to someone that hears God's word that says when someone hurts you, that there's grace, that God gives grace and we should give grace. If God will forgive me, then I'm going to forgive you. I want somebody in a relationship with me that is submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. That way, if there's a problem, I know this, both of us will submit ourselves to the authority of God's word and Jesus Christ, and that makes a big difference in a marriage. And when they say, no, I'm going to tell you, run for the hills. It's a red flag. I know it's going to be hard to hear. But what I, I want to say goes beyond relationships for all of us right now. There is a difference, a huge difference between believing in God and being fully surrendered to Jesus. There's a difference. And if I'm gonna get chained, hitched, tie the knot, yoked with somebody else, and I, again, I told you this message is for Jesus followers, and I say I have surrendered my life to Jesus, I wanna be with somebody who has done the same. It matters. It really does. Because Paul goes on to say in verse 14, he says, I want to read the rest of this. I know we all did it. We did all that in one sentence. There's so much in that one sentence. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I know this kind of just seems like a hard analogy. You can't say that I'm light and they're wicked and evil and darkness. That's, that's not, it's deeper than that. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which is another term for devil or Satan? In other words, how can Christ and Satan be bonded? That's a good question. And then it says, or what does a believer have in what? Can we all say that word out loud? Have in common with an unbeliever. You know, when I would sit down, and I don't perform a lot of weddings anymore. We have a lot of pastors that do, and but when I sit down with, in the past with um, couples who wanted to get married in pre-marriage counseling, one of the questions I would often ask, I would say, why, why do you think this is the right person to marry? Why do you guys want to get married? And invariably, I would often hear the same answer over and over. This is what I would hear. Because we have so much in common. That's what I hear from people. 
We have so much in common. And a lot of times when we say that, what we've talked about, the things that we think are really important is, well, we both kind of have similar ideas of career path and we both want about the same number of kids at about the same stage of life. And we both kind of have the same thoughts about what schools we'd want to put our kids in. And we even have a, a boy's name that we agree on. It's so beautiful. It's like, I can't wait. It's like, we, 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 we both, you know, we have this, we both like the same spot for vacation. I was like, listen, that's great. One week out of the year, everything's going to be beautiful. You guys will be in the same spot. It's awesome. It's great, okay? But can I ask this question? To follow Jesus means to be fully surrendered to him in every area. What, what does somebody who has fully surrendered their entire lives to Jesus have in common with someone who doesn't? What, what do we share in common? How we're going to live our lives? Maybe not. What we're going to do with our time? That could be a struggle. What we're going to do with our money? That could be a fight. How we raise our kids, the values, the ethics, the authority that we're going to align our lives under. I mean, what, what, how, I mean, all of it. What do we actually have in common? See, I would say that of the things that matter most, there's not much in common. There's not much in common. And a lot of times in our culture, we're like, if we have a lot in common, we just won't mention politics or religion. Can I tell you, it's a really bad idea. It's a bad idea. You want to talk about what separated our nation? Politics and religion. And so here, here's the challenge. What do I do if I see red flags? What I want to share with you, just one last verse, one last statement. I, I want you to hear me if you're single. This is going to be hard to hear. This is not easy to, to receive. You're going to think all kinds of things about this. But if you would just receive this from God like a father who loves his daughter, who loves his son, that wants the best, Paul goes on to say in verse 17, therefore, come out from them and be what? Everybody say that out loud with me. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. What does he say? He says, when it comes to relationships that matter the most, when it comes to combining, a yoking, a bonding, don't do it. It's, it don't do it, it's dangerous. It can hurt you, it can mess you up. You know, the whole passage here that Paul talks about, this whole passage was reflective of what happened to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel, the entire story, you should go read it. The whole story is about God trying to bring them out of bondage. And he gives them this one most important message. He says, have no other gods before me. Follow me and me alone. And the story of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament is about them allowing the people in their cities, allow them intermarrying with other people that had different faiths, different belief systems. And guess what? All of a sudden, they began to worship their gods. They began to turn away from the one true God because of their relationships with others. That's why you see King Solomon, wisest man of the world, wealthiest king ever. And then you find out that later in life, his heart is led away from God because of all the women that he married that worshiped other gods. And so this is why this matters so much, especially when it comes to the most important relationship you'll ever have. And I know maybe some of you are just kicking back, and, and I respect that. Some of you are like, Pastor, you don't know him. You don't know our good person, great heart. I, I, I appreciate that. I really do. But sometimes we, we can come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses that we won't respond. You know, I've, I've heard a variety of things. You know, I've heard some people say, well, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? You know, we say that often about other people when it comes to their faith. It's like, that's your personal thing. And it's, who am I to judge? And she said that she really believes in God. And so why, why am I gonna question that and judge it? That seems rude. That seems wrong. It's interesting how we will judge them in everything while we're dating. Are they, you know, are they somebody I would be with? Are they good looking? Are they uh, clean? Are they, uh, you know, ambitious? Do they have, I'm gonna judge all of that to determine, but when it gets to the most important part, we're like, who am I to judge? It matters. 
It's not judged in a condom, condemnate, condemnation, I can't say that, condemning way, but it's judging as in making a wise decision for your life. And there's some of you that maybe have been in a relationship with someone and you're like, I, I'm trying to lead them to God. That's great. I do love that. I think one of the things that we're called to do is as ambassador, we've received it, we're to influence others. That is wonderful. But let me just warn you and say that missionary, oh, it's my mission, missionary dating often leads to missionary marriages. And we have a lot of those in our church. We have a lot of those in our church because maybe you were, neither of you were believers and you got married and then all of a sudden you gave your life to Jesus, fully surrendered, and your spouse hasn't. And if you were to ask all of those who walk through that tension, they'll tell you very clearly, it's hard, it matters. And I know a lot of times we think, well, God, I just feel like God's shrinking my pool, my options, and I, now I gotta go change my profile and I gotta add that so that my number of matches is gonna go down. Like, are you? I want you to picture, this is not God trying to hurt you. This is God trying to protect you. I, I just talked to a lady um, who was at our church. It was her second time in this building. Doesn't even live here. She'd been around our church years ago, lives in West Virginia. She didn't know I'm sharing this, but she... She had a previous marriage and she was here and she said, I wish I had heard that when I was younger because my first marriage was really painful. What I went through was really hard and I'm grateful that I have a different situation now. But, I, but if, you're, if you're uncertain about this and you're single, I could probably direct you to some people in our community that every single week they struggle and it's a fight over finances, it's a fight over their time. They wanna serve, their spouse gets upset. They wanna give, their spouse gets really upset. They wanna raise their kids in a certain way in a community, their spouse doesn't want anything. To, I, could, I could lead you to people. It, it's painful, it's painful. Our family got to see it up close and personal and I don't, I don't ever like to share too much detail but my sister met a guy, dated, fell in love. He wasn't a believer. My parents wouldn't bless it. They're like, no, nah, we, can't, we can't bless that. So, I mean, supernaturally, a few weeks later, he gave his life to Jesus. Kind of convenient, but it seemed authentic. Things were going well, I got married. And then they moved away. And the moment that happened, she found out he was a different person from cheating to all kinds of things. And it ended badly. And so I, I, I say this as not just a pastor, but as somebody who has seen it, it's painful. God's not trying to rain on your parade. Please hear me if you're single. He's trying to save you from a lot of pain down the road. Okay? And I, I also know this, and, and my heart really goes out. I want to say this to all of you who are in this church and community and your spouse does not follow Jesus and the tension and the pain you feel. I, I want you to know that I see you, we see you, pray for you, and, and really wanna believe with you that God is gonna do something in your marriage. If you're, if you're that person, and I said I'd come back to this, you're that person, you're saying, I got married, we didn't know, we got married. I'm following Jesus, this person is not. What do I do? Scripture is real clear in 1 Corinthians 7 that you should remain in whatever situation you're in when you were called by God. There's other factors, if there's ever abuse, if there's other things, we, we discern God's word, everything's a little bit unique, but when it comes to just in general, understanding this, that, that we're to remain in that situation. That's why if you're single, please take note of the red flags, because it can save you from a lot of pain, amen? Just bow your heads and let's just pray. Father God, I, I know that this can kind of maybe feel heavy. I, I know that this can be so direct and maybe it even stands against, God, something that we want. It is my prayer, God, for every single person in our community that your spirit would speak to them. Maybe before a relationship, man, I'm gonna look for something different. Or maybe in the relationship they're in, I'm gonna, my eyes are open now. And I pray, God, by your spirit, you would lead people. Lord, if, if, if there is to, like, you're gonna lead them in a new direction, I pray give them the courage and the boldness to do it. Lord, I, 
I, I just pray that everyone can hear your voice in this area. And Lord, I wanna pray for every person in our community, every married couple, and especially those, Lord, where their spouse does not believe, does not share their faith, their convictions. I just pray, I'm asking for your spirit to grace every one of them, the men and women who stand in the gap for their spouse and their families. God, I pray that you would do a work in them. I pray for a supernatural work in their spouse, that God, because of their faith, that you would reach them. And listen, as we're praying, just in this moment, maybe that question, it's not about relationships, but it is for you directly, and it's this question. There's a difference between believing in God and fully surrendered to Jesus. My question is, are you fully surrendered to Jesus? Maybe when watching this, you, you would recognize, no, I, I kind of dabble and I, I believe in God, but I've never really said I'm going all in. Today, if you wanna do that, I would love to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. It'll change your life. You'll become a new person, new creation. If that's your desire today, I would love for you right where you are just to say a prayer with me in your heart. Say something like this. Just say, Jesus, today I give you my life. Today I surrender every part of who I am to your lordship. Thank you for dying for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And today from this moment forward, I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my life. We pray these things all together as God's people in the matchless name of our Savior Jesus. And everybody said together, come on, can we just celebrate with those today that prayed that prayer? Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.